0: Good morning listeners, today we are going to talk about the triple package, which is an idea that Amy Chua wrote about, and it is that individuals or minorities who do very well have a combination of a sense of superiority, insecurity, and impulse control. So let's see if we've got one of the three, two of the three, or all of the three.
1: I'm here this morning with David Orney. How are you, David? Very well, thank you, Tim. We also have Young Blood in the studio. How are you? Young blood? I'm very well. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me again. All right. Triple package. Mm-hmm. Controversial, I think. Well, it has been in terms of its reception.
0: Yep. Until they realized she was an Asian American lady, saying that you know, the sense of superiority was a response to feeling insecure. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't racist. It was about feeling like you don't have a place. Yeah. It was not a statement. I think that was the easy thing for them to
2: jump on, which was, oh, this person is making a statement saying that Asian-American mothers do a better job than mm. Caucasian-American mothers. And that's what she flat out says is not oh. at all the case. In fact, that she was in a moment or in a place of, of real panic in her parenting and not knowing what to do with the children who she just didn't know how she was going to help them to get where they needed to go. And that this was a response to her,
0: I don't know, her struggle, her struggle with and that. And in a sense, part of that is she herself has been a consequence of these three factors, mm. a sense of inferiority, not feeling like you necessarily have a place, and the insecurity of going, well, things are changing, my children are half Asian American, half Anglo American. Oh, I can't remember. He he's certainly a... Face face white guy. Mm. But I don't know if he's, you know, Anglo or you know which particular you know flavour of vanilla.
1: I had understood it. I could be wrong. I had understood it that he was uh Italian background. Oh okay. Okay. That so, could be that could be wrong.
0: So Southern European. Mm.
1: Mm. To America though. Mm. yeah And yeah. then
0: impulse control. Yeah. Well, she's thinking deeply about what she needs to do to make sure her kids survive and more than that thrive. Mm. So she's doubling down on I'm going to do what it takes. Well, there's no giving in there to what she'd like to do. She'd like to have the day off and have a latte. Mm -hmm. No, it's about getting her kids somewhere. Mm. So do we just want to start at the start with the idea of a sense of superiority and unpack that? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Because that's that's the really uncomfortable one. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think, and with all three of these, I think it's important to keep in mind that these are uh, shortcuts. These are ways of simply describing something in a a shorthand way, a quick way, but you have to unpack them in order to understand the complexity of them and Mm. recognize that when you're saying superiority, you don't necessarily mean, or rather she doesn't necessarily mean, any of the things that can negatively come along, Mm. any of the connotations that we have with someone feeling superior to someone else. And I I think it's important as we keep going through this to remind ourselves that we're looking to make sense of each of these things to then be able to come back and, and nominate the three elements or name the three elements and say well these are the elements rather than have to go into a bulk description every single time it just makes it quicker to reference them
0: it makes definition better Mm. so the first thing i'll leap into with superiority is it's a limit of english that there really isn't a better word for Mm -hmm. what she's talking about Mm -hmm. and that the better word i'm going to propose only exists because francis fukuyama wrote two pages on it Mm -hmm. or most people in the modern western world wouldn't have a clue so right in the middle of the end of history, his famous book that said liberal democracy was going to win in the early 90s and everything would be groovy, and he's largely been proven wrong, and even admitted he was wrong, is an interesting section on one of the biggest transitions in the West, as we go out of the medieval period into the Renaissance and then into the modern world, is until then, the people who ruled the world were megalothemic. And megalothemia means you want to be seen as someone's superior you want to be acknowledged as they're better. And that that's what most aristocracies were and most elites up until the modern period. But that part of what happens in the modern period with the reinvention of democracy and imagining what proper inclusion will look like is Fukuyama finds another ancient Greek word, isothemia. And isothemia is the desire to be seen as everyone else's Equal, mm. And I think that's what Amy Chua really means mm-hmm. when she says a sense of superiority. It's you will not accept being seen as anything less than everyone else is equal. So even if you come from an ethnic or religious minority, or like in my case, you're the blind guy in the room, you want to be seen as equal to everyone else who is present. Mm. Yep. And I would love to be able to change the triple package into isothemia, insecurity and impulse control. But I know I'm not going to get to do that or I'd have to teach the whole world what isothermia means. Mm. Mm. Like, Do you guys like that as a word? Do you think that's a, a yes. better word? And is it what do you think she means?
2: I do. I, I think what she's talking about is capacity. I mm. think she's talking about a, a capability of achieving just like everyone else could, mm. but not, that you're not behind the eight ball on it, that you're rather... Um, Fair playing field exactly just as likely to achieve as anyone else based on what you then choose to do with it that becomes the issue but there wasn't an environmental
0: impediment put in front of you
2: right yes that all other things being equal Mm. this would be your your right as much as anybody else's right
0: and from the outside when you demand to be treated as an equal some people may believe that is no you want to be seen as being better than Mm -hmm. other people well Normally the people who think that are the ones who have privilege. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tricky situation.
2: Anytime you use the word superior to to not uh, put people on the defensive and have them starting to think that they are. If you want to be superior, it means that you're superior to them and, and not reflect on the idea that you could actually be superior to, as I was saying to you guys earlier, your mediocre self. Mm-hmm. I just want to be better than I am. It's a Nietzschean
0: thing at a degree too to constantly be challenging yourself to be Mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. The other thing too, I think there's an angle of this and this holds for a lot of ethnic and religious minorities when they arrive in the modern Western world and that is they have to catch up and then do well. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the amount of ground that someone from a recently arrived minority or a previously oppressed minority or a group where life's just a bit harder, like for disabled people. You have to get to the starting line before you start to be involved in Mm -hmm. the race. Mm -hmm. You've already run race number one. Mm -hmm. And that's not to go, poor me. It's an acknowledgement of the effort involved to be part of what's going on. Mm And you want it to be that if you put the effort in, you are then allowed to be in the game as an equal player. Mm -hmm. So the superiority in this may simply also be read as superior effort to be involved in trying to do well. Mm -hmm. And you just accept that's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And you don't big note yourself, but you just know the work it took to even get to the starting line was already huge. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely really flies in the face of how i think most people use identity politics so I, I this is what i think is most interesting about this whole thing is that we're talking about uh, certain ethnic minority groups whatever it may be that need to play catch up as you say and people usually want equitable policy structures for these kinds of things instead of the frame of mind that this uh, this triple package is talking about where people achieve it on off their own mm. blood, blood and sweat. Uh, I think that is perhaps what is also quite disturbing for people who are perhaps let's say I don't know sensitive or more left leaning that it, in, instead of asking, you know, the society to kind of do do these things to make an equitable range of diverse people. Yeah, I, I think that having the triple package is actually just doing it off your own back. Well, we have the classic problem of left and right. Mm. That classically,
0: the right believes it's all down to the individual, and the individual's either going to be awesome or they're not. Mm-hmm. And the left believes the opposite, that it's all down to how good the social engineering is to even everyone up. Whereas this is taking an uncomfortable, ambiguous position in the middle, Yeah, saying we should give people the best chance mm-hmm. to have an even. Start line. Absolutely. But the reality is that people who are playing catch-up have to do a lot more work to be at the start line. Mm. And I don't think the left likes to acknowledge that and the right would privilege, oh, that's just an amazing individual and we should treat them just as an amazing individual. Mm. And at no point is Amy Chua saying that any minority has these characteristics and will have them forever. It's something that an individual can have, a group of people can have now, and can lose. Mm -hmm. So her point is that the United States was founded on the triple package. You had a country essentially founded on the triple package but has largely lost the positives of the sense of superiority and now just thinks it's owed, Mm. doesn't have the sense of insecurity because it believes it can dominate Mm.
1: and has lost impulse control. Mm. Isn't it amazing that the natural cultural progression though is that the minorities or groups of people that are behind let's say from the beginning have put systems in place that then put the next generation of people in front Mm -hmm. is the result
0: that's what democracy and an ethical society should do to say we don't have to repeat what was difficult for us Mm. if we can see a way to get everyone to the start line more fairly and it's like when we talked about meritocracy meritocracy does not mean equal outcomes no Mm -hmm. it means equal opportunities yeah to be involved, what you do with the opportunities is the different. So if you provide a combination of equal opportunities and then someone as an individual or as part of a group also has the triple package, that's the combo for winning. And that's really when Amy Chua talks about you know, Chinese-Americans or Indian-Americans, it's that double down. Mm-hmm.
2: The big thing she talks about that struck me was the intergenerational differences Mm. and that there can be an entire band of a generation that does extremely well because they do start from behind Mm. and then their children are born into that wealth or born into that opportunity and often don't do nearly as well mm.
0: they're habituated to the comfort exactly not to the impulse yes. control
2: they don't have to push they don't have to struggle in the same mm. way and then it can then skip another generation so that then their neck their children will start to push again mm. but you know, she deconstructed, I think, in a really nice way that it was not about ethnicity and it was no. not about generation. It was about the individual, which I think, when we strip it back, makes it such a positive message. Mm. It kind of doesn't matter where you start. If you can cultivate these three elements, anyone
0: can succeed. Mm. And people wanted to ignore that initially and just feel outraged. And that wasn't her point. The point was to empower people mm. with this three, you know, combination of three things that together could have a big impact. Mm. You feel, guys, we're time to move on to insecurity. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. How insecure I, are we I'm, feeling? I, I,
2: <laughs> well, if we if we take it by contrast to superiority, I think it's a nice, nice balance, a nice balance mm. because you have to be. You have to believe in the superiority. You have to believe in yourself and your capacity to be great mm. in what you are doing. And as she outlines in the inferiority aspect of it, in the insecurity aspect of it, you also can't rest on your laurels. No, you have to believe that everything you do is never quite good enough mm. so that you keep pushing a little bit harder, a little bit harder. And that those two things together, you have to believe that you can achieve it, but you also have to be willing to keep pushing and leaning into the discomfort that comes with that. And I think that's a great balance.
0: And that's very challenging to people who like their level of privilege, Mm -hmm. that they don't really want to have to do the hard yards because what their family did before them or their community before them should carry them through. Mm -hmm. And that is, in my opinion, a big part of the ongoing problem in the modern West Mm -hmm. is we think because people worked hard before us, we can coast. Mm -hmm. A certain degree of insecurity of going, we could lose this if we don't invest in it properly. And that's not to have a freak out, but it's just to acknowledge if you don't maintain things, they break down. So this insecurity doesn't have to be more extreme than if we don't maintain this good system and endeavour to improve it, it will break down, like we're seeing at the moment with faith in democracy. Mm -hmm. It's breaking down because people aren't investing in making sure it stays as good as it was, or even more importantly, grows to suit what we need
2: now. Absolutely. You know, I'm reminded of an advertising campaign that came out a few years back, quite a few years back in the States from a company called Avis. They were a hire car company (laughs) and they were always number two, always number (laughs) two. And I think it was Hertz that was ahead. I might be wrong Mm. about that. It might have been maybe budget. I'm not sure. I've been here too long. I'm starting to forget these things. But I do remember Avis was number two. So what they did was they kept pushing, they kept striving, but they included that as part of their communications, as part of their advertising, which was they would say, we're number two we try harder.
0: Yeah. So because I remember the, the ad. number two, you remember it. Okay. Yeah, it was a guy with an American accent mm-hmm. even here in Australia for okay. the ad. Okay. Yeah.
2: And I loved that because mm. it stated the truth. You know, we're not yeah. number one, but because we're number two, we try that much harder to please mm. our customers, to, to try to make ourselves a better company. And I think it sits perfectly in that statement right there. We're number two, we try harder. And even if you are number one, I think you almost need to... Act like you were number number one yesterday. Mm.
0: The important thing to always remember with anything where you get told you're number one is on what day did you get that designation and how many days ago is that?
2: Absolutely. The number number of times I've walked past a restaurant or a hairdresser and seen a sign in the window that says voted best whatever 2014 and it's 2019. Uh, I'll give you a
0: better example. Yeah. A Thai restaurant out on Churchill Road. It was best Thai restaurant in 1997, and they're <laughs> still, still doing the, the sign. They still got the newspaper clippings <laughs> in the window. Yeah, and fine have them inside in a frame. Yeah, don't have them in the front window. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's doing for them what they think it's doing. <laughs> no. it, well, if anything, it's making sure a little square of the carpet doesn't get yeah. as faded as the newsprint. But that's the sum total of the effect. Yeah. Now, this insecurity thing becomes a, a two. Sided sort of thing. It's one, recognising you can lose what you've got. But two, recognising that the environment in which you're functioning doesn't make any promises. Mm. That you must remain adaptable Mm -hmm. to the natural uncertainties of the world. Mm -hmm. So you need to be comfortable with risk. You need to be comfortable with uncertainty. So from the perspective of someone like Tina Selig who says, when she sort of spoke to a whole poll of successful entrepreneurs, the first characteristic they all have in common is that every day they take tiny little risks that don't matter very much Mm -hmm. to habituate themselves to discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a big part of this insecurity thing is even when it's good, practice like a stoic would it being bad. Mm -hmm. So if it is, you do the best you can Mm. and have the best shot of overcoming the insecurity that comes from not knowing what the world will be like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. If you practice that enough, that that becomes your
2: learned response to something. Then, mm. when the actual bad thing happens, your don't. I'm, I'm hesitant to call it natural because it's practiced again. But your learned response, mm-hmm. your immediate response, let's call it that, is is from coming from a, a more practiced place. Mm. You're not you're not suddenly caught off guard because you've you've had daily disruptions, even if they're intentional, daily challenges that you've learned to meet. So when the unexpected ones truly come, th- th- you tackle them. You're, you're more available to tackle them. You don't, you don't crumble under that pressure.
0: So in a lot of ways, superiority, w- we found an alternate word. Insecurity can be defined quite easily. Both things have a lot to do with historical ways of functioning. Mm-hmm. Like in Chinese terms, this is very much, you know, wu-wei, effortless action. Mm-hmm. You've habituated to doing the right things and you just get on with it Mm -hmm. it fits well with kind of a western virtue ethics perspective work hard don't expect it to turn out well but work hard enough that there's a chance you turn it around and it does turn out well Mm -hmm. which leads nicely into her third one which is impulse control Mm. which uh, again you with all your training as a psychologist and all your years of yoga Mm -hmm. why I'm going to volunteer you to be the one to make impulse control make sense to people absolutely so if you're going to
2: invest your time in something, and I think as we've become more and more accustomed to things, having an immediate response to them. So I, I press this button on my phone and I get this little sound and I post this picture and I immediately get a like. We acclimate to this immediate gratification. And so if I do something and I don't get an immediate response to it, then it's a failure and it, it's not worth pursuing any further. Whereas maybe in days past and and I think it was just more o- often that it would happen then because we didn't have the kind of tech now that allows us to get such an immediate response a good example would be writing a letter mm. you write a, a handwritten physical letter and you send it could take months to get to a person then to get a reply mm. you didn't assume during that time that that person wasn't going to get it and you weren't going to get a reply you would get on with things but you would still put your time into writing the letter mm knowing that the gratification for it, the reply, would come sometime down the line. And I think impulse control is the same. It's synonymous with delayed gratification. Your ability to put the effort in now, knowing that the payoff may not come for days, weeks, months, years, and being okay with that, being okay with this, um, with having patience. So perhaps that's another way to say it, is having patience. The work you're putting in now doesn't need an immediate response in order for you to feel like it was worth something.
0: Which also then suggests that you have the capacity to reflect and plan mm-hmm. on what matters to you. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to achieve it, to plan to achieve it, and then to implement? Yes. So you've got to be able to sit and reflect yes. honestly about what matters to you and what you are willing to do. Right. Can you stay focused on your
2: long-term goal? Yeah. Even though you may not be getting any direct feedback saying that you're going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Or that the that there will be fruits at the end of your labors, and I think that comes back to with the the yoga. One of the things we talk about a lot is just do the practice, mm. see what comes from it. But one thing we know is not doing the practice is definitely not going to lead to those results. Now you won't mm-hmm. magically become bendy person, right. Without right. being a bendy person, yes. So you've just got it. You've got to do it and see, and that non attachment, that ability to say, well, let's just see what happens. Mm that openness to it, I think, puts us in the best headspace to accept whatever does happen. And in that way, I think it's interesting because even though we may have a sense of what we want the outcome to be, if we don't attach ourselves to that too strongly, then we allow ourselves to be okay with the result being somewhat different than what we had planned and yet equally as powerful,
0: equally as worthy. Wanting something specific can get you started, Mm. but enjoying the little gains along the way... Mm -hmm means you can become comfortable with getting a different end Mm -hmm. because what you see that putting in effort keeps being rewarding not necessarily in the way you predict so part of this impulse control is also an openness Mm. that the goal you set might be your ideal Mm -hmm. but it was your ideal before you had more experience and with more experience you may realize that your ideal is still good but there's other things you're achieving and other things you both want to achieve and enjoy achieving. Yes. So, when I started Ashtanga yoga, I never would have thought I would have retaught myself to walk completely mm. differently. Mm. Wouldn't have entered our head to talk mm-hmm. about that the first mm-hmm. time we ever spoke. Yes. And yet I'm still stuck on a bastard posture. Right. But I walk so much better.
2: <laughs> yes, definitely. And and as you say with experience you learn perspective, I think. You learn to say, "Ah, okay. Well, this, you know, I'd given myself a year." And that motivated me. I given myself a year to finish primary series that motivated me enough to get on the mat and say, I can do that. I can do a year. Mm. And at the end of the year, I realized, okay, I can get on the mat every day. I can do the work, but I'm not where I thought I would be in a year. A year later, I realized that this is more like a three-year project. Mm. So let me keep going with this. But that the efforts I've put in so far have been beneficial. And I'm now a third of the way closer mm. to where I'm going to end up, not Oh well, I didn't get there in a year, so mm. that's it. That
0: that was a, a mistake, or that was a waste of my time. Yeah. And the more you practice impulse control, the more you get good mm-hmm. at estimating better, mm-hmm. but also understanding that when you don't achieve the end point, that doesn't mean you didn't achieve. Yeah, you just achieve different things on yeah. the way. Yeah. So, it could be very destructive to take on impulse control that says i must achieve 100% of what i set as my goal mm. or it was all pointless mm-hmm. and that's an interesting thing my observation is a lot of people now either have very little impulse control or if they don't get the exact outcome they wanted they can't enjoy a different outcome right that that too is that that in itself was a failure yeah and yeah. that to me looks like a pretty miserable way to be alive mm.
2: Yes, absolutely. I see it sometimes with, with people uh, working because that tends to be one of the things people focus on most is hamstrings, right? Because I guess it's the most <laughs> obvious thing. Can I, <laughs> can I fold forward? Can I touch my toes? Yeah. And I'll sometimes say to people, you know, you're folding forward quite nicely and you're 90% of the way there you're stressing about the 10%. If you relax into it, that 10% will come with time. But if Mm. I told you that you just did an exam and got 90% for it, would you be happy with that? most of them would say, absolutely. Mm. So why is it any different here? Because you keep focusing on that 10% that you didn't get yet. Mm. And of course, then you put yourself in a place of anxiety around that and it continues to feel like a failure and you completely discount the 90% that did go well. Mm. So you're yeah you're doing a disservice to your efforts I think the other thing about impulse control that's interesting is it's if, if we look at it from a business perspective or growth perspective in the long term then you know we talk about almost a relationship to yourself in that regard and maybe to the environment and to the, the market but if you look at it in relation to other people directly to other people it can be something that we practice even in a moment to moment day to day kind of space so. If somebody says something that I find quite off-putting or upsetting, do I have enough ability to control my impulse to then lash out at them? Or can Mm. I continue to listen? Can I continue to see what else could come from this conversation? Am I open to changing my opinion? Am I willing to say, hey, this person's actually making quite a good point? Maybe I'm okay with that. Maybe it's okay for them to feel this way and for me to feel a different way, but not to react or become emotionally reactive where... Everything is a drama and everything is a, a heightened response to something.
0: That's really interesting you say that because Tina Seelig, who you know, looked at entrepreneurs and the three things that they needed to do and all did to be successful was, you know, the first thing was to take tiny risks every day. Mm-hmm. The second thing is to say thank you very easily mm. because it just makes people happy. Mm-hmm. And the third thing, and it taps into exactly what you're talking about now, is if someone presents you with a crazy idea, or an idea that challenges everything you believe, mm-hmm. stop and go, why would they be presenting this unless they saw merit? Yes. And Because they see merit. At the very least, what I'm going to learn from this is what they value. Mm-hmm. And if I'm interacting with them, that probably matters. Mm-hmm. Even if we don't agree, I'll know more about what has value to them. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't take it on board, you'll still take on board how better to deal with that person. Mm-hmm. You still get a win. So, yeah, impulse control, you're right, has very much two different sides to it. Mm.
2: Yeah, I I think there's something. It's funny, I'm thinking about conversations that I've had with my wife, who I I don't know if I've mentioned before, but she's uh, Italian, so English is not her first language. And her English is very good, but she will often use Italian grammar with English words. So I'll get a sentence that will have the particles in it that would have been used if she was speaking in Italian, even though she's saying something in English. And I have two ways I could, well, I have multiple ways I suppose I could respond to that. But the two most obvious ways, I think, are tell her that she's wrong and keep correcting her or say, interesting, I've just learned how that would be said in Italian. I've mm. just learned some Italian grammar from Precisely. that. Precisely. So that the positive there is some element. value. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm controlling my impulse to correct her, to show her that I know more than she does, or to make her feel small or however it might have a negative outcome. And then other times I might be able to, you know, carefully and, and lovingly word a sentence that lets her know that how she said it was great, but that there was a couple of words in there. There were a couple of words in there that could be switched around that would make it uh, exactly in the way we would say it in english if she if she so cares to say it that way, mm. but at the end of the day, there's nothing lost in her doing something differently,
0: mm, no. It's like the days where, for whatever reason, my body won't move, and you go, "Well, at least that joint's moving." Right, exactly. <laughs> we'll find the one positive exactly. out exactly. of David's mold, you know, moving like an old man.
2: Tonight. Or, if, or if I show up and you say it's been a very painful week, yeah, you know, there's feedback in that. Okay, yeah. well, what has caused that? There's, yeah. That's that's something for us to work yeah, with. That's not forward. nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? What is it? They said with with Thomas Edison being interviewed. You ever heard this story about Thomas Edison being interviewed about the light bulb. No. No, So, so apparently this young plucky reporter came in and was interviewing him and and said to him, you know, sir, when are you going to just go ahead and admit that man was not supposed to live by electric light, that he was meant to live by a gas lamp and stop this nonsense? You've, you've had 500 attempts and you've had 500 failures. None of these have worked. You still have not made a working light bulb. And Thomas Edison, apparently, his reply was, I haven't wasted my time. I've simply figured out 500 ways not to make a light bulb. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what you have to do if you want to achieve that specific thing. Absolutely. And I always remember that because that is a powerful, I think, message for continuing on to make a positive change Mm, and to create something you believe in.
0: That's right. Because he kept going, well, that didn't work. So don't try something similar to that. Yes. Try something a little bit different. A little bit different. So even the fails were in an order that probably took on it had rhyme
1: and reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a wonderful place to potentially end with a light bulb, shining <laughs> yeah, down I, I upon us. I thought that was going to end in such a different place. So <laughs> 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 clearly, my reading was a completely different interpre- interpretation. <laughs> but you are open to it being a different ending, and that's what's great. I was open to learning. I certainly couldn't contribute, but we'll leave that for another time. Young uh, Youngblood, I hope that you can join us again. I'm sure that we'll have um, a few other topics that your insight—it well, would always be useful—but. You know, when you can make the time, we would especially you. appreciate your insight on. Thanks. I'd look forward to it. And thank you, David. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, guys.
0: Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the ozcast Network. Peace out.